Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Wherever you are, this is Michelle and Serena, and this is From the Root, a discussion-based podcast that explores holistic wellness through our lived experiences as Black queer people. Can you introduce yourself to our listeners? Okay, so this is our first episode. So my name is Michelle. My pronouns are she, her, they, them. Uh, my name is Serena, and my pronouns are they, them, and she, her. I am a graduate student. I'm currently learning holistic medicine. And what else? I do, I like do tarot for myself, not really to many other people. I'm an intuitive. I am a listener and a healer in some aspects. And how do you identify, Serena? Um, I identify <clears throat> as an activated healer. And I use the term activated because I believe that everybody's a healer and everybody has the capacity to heal themselves and help others to come to their own healing. And so when I say activated, it just means that I am actively engaging in that process of healing myself and helping to bring others to healing. So I would also identify you as an activated healer. Um, I'm a poet, a writer. I use word magic. That is my favorite type of energy work to use. Um, I am currently getting my certification to become a sex educator. And my long range plan is to become a sex doula. I think that our wellness needs to be holistic, which for me is mental, mental, physical, emotional, spiritual, financial, even. And that in order for us to heal, that must include the toxic systems and norms that we have. And so when I see some practitioners that are very, very spiritually based in a way that excludes their humanity and it excludes the human condition. To me, that's a really unbalanced and non-holistic way of healing. You know, if you're not talking about racism and sexism and homophobia and transphobia and all of that through the lens of your healing work, then you're not really healing. I agree. I feel like there are definitely people who feel otherworldly like they're not part of this world and that's okay but that is certainly not balanced like we need to be making sure that we're like women it's interesting because i mean i do believe in the idea that we are spiritual beings having a human experience but we have to honor both things so Mm -hmm. we are spiritual yes but we also are humans who are having a human experience and we have to acknowledge the realities that we're living in including the one that is literally right in front of us and all of those aspects are incredibly important. Yes, I love that's one of my favorite sayings. Um, we are spiritual beings having a human experience. Um, and I see particularly a lot of white practitioners that sometimes like miss that mark and um, I think try to dissociate. And I think that's an attempt to also dissociate from their privilege that they have and try to like use spirituality as an escape um, and as an escape from the accountability that they need to take for the privileges that they have. 
I agree. Like, I think that this is a time in which, like, a lot of wellness practitioners, especially white ones, should be taking heed and also using this time to really recognize their position as white people and, like, what impact that does have on the world around them instead of ignoring it and (laughs) keep it pushing and only focusing on whatever they want to focus on and not the dark side. And that also goes into shadow work. Like, um, there are people who identify as shadow workers or people who identify as light workers. But to me, I don't really see much of a difference because you can't be one without the other. There's no such thing as being only light. The best part about shadow work is that it helps so that you can enjoy the light that much better. Like when you're able to go through all that hard stuff, it makes you so much, it makes you enjoy your happiness so much more versus somebody who never went through hardships and they've only known good things their entire lives. They don't really enjoy it as much because they're numb to it. It's something that they're just used to. Like, could you imagine, like, I can never imagine like a life in which like I was just raised with like a yacht and like huge houses and (laughs) I got whatever car I wanted. Like imagine if you got everything you ever wanted, like it doesn't make you feel good anymore. Cause it's just kind of like, it's expected for you. Mm -hmm. Like what makes you you feel better? Yeah. That's like what gives you feeling anymore. You kind of lose out on that versus somebody who may have struggled or worked really hard to get a car. And then we finally get it. They enjoy it. They appreciate it so much more. So like all of those things, Uh, really does make a difference but there is no such thing as light work without shadow work both of those things are incredibly important and there are a lot of people out there who only want to focus on the good and it's almost like a false happiness because Mm -hmm. you have to be able to acknowledge hardships in order to really enjoy have like real authentic joy and bliss so both are just very important and I'm hoping that people start to recognize that the world is very complex in so many different ways and we can't just think so simply about everything. <laughs> like there are things that we can think simply about and then there are things that we really need to recognize like the complexities of it all. Cuz even within the simplicity of life there's like significant complexities that like are below it that we just may not even be aware of. Absolutely. I think that like makes people uncomfortable. They want a simple answer. They want it to be black and white. They don't like the billion different shades of gray or the different shades of black, the different shades of white. Like, that's confusing. I don't even consider it that. (laughs) Like, when I talk to people about that whole list, I'm just like, look, we try to see things in black and white, forgetting that there's a whole gray scale. And on top of it, we got color. Like, there's so much (laughs) to it. It's a like rainbow. It's, yeah, there's like a whole rainbow that we're missing out on. And like, if you talk to artists, they could tell you the difference between this shade of green versus this shade of green. Like, all of those things are so important. And depending on what you're interested in, you might lose out on those things. So it's um, it's incredibly important to recognize the complexities of everything as well as the simplicity in it. But we need to also stop thinking out of the binary and thinking mm-hmm. that things are black and white or that you can identify this way or this other way. And there's no other way to identify outside of these two things. For so sure. there's a lot of learning that we can do. Yeah, I feel like that's what it gets down to is like this whole life unexplored. Because when you're not even willing to like look at or discuss or even consider another way, how can you really achieve like the full expansiveness of who you are if you're like 
this is all and all I am and all I ever will be. And I think as humans, like we're really meant to continue to evolve. We're not meant to stay the same our whole entire life. And that can show up in a lot of different ways. But if you're dead set on not exploring, you're not acknowledging any other way of being, then it's um, very unlikely that you will find that transformation, that evolution. Yeah, exactly. So, Serena, why did you decide to start this podcast? I think this started about, this idea started about two years ago for me of wanting to start a podcast. I wanted it to be about holistic wellness. I knew that um, I wanted it to be centered on my experience as a Black, queer, gender fluid, et cetera, et cetera, person, but like very fixated and centralized on um, those lived experiences. And I originally approached our friend Natiana and, and she wasn't interested in doing the podcast. And, and I didn't want to do it alone because I specifically wanted it to be a discussion with somebody else. I didn't want it to be just myself talking to myself and answering questions. I think that's fine and great too, but I feel like the conversations I have with my friends is so generative and that I really come to those aha moments that I don't have in the same way with myself because it's just me talking to myself and you know, recycling the same ideas. So I feel like there's a lot of value in that discussion portion. And I wanted a platform, a way to share information, resources. I feel like just for myself and again, in those conversations with friends, so much comes up that's of value that could be of value to somebody else. And having it be um, centered on healing, which for me, healing is something that even if we fix all of the oppressive systems in the world, we still still need healing. Like that's not going to go away. Um, it's not something we stop doing. It's because people will continue to hurt people. Not like, not saying that like people are inherently bad, just that, you know, like you get in an argument with somebody, like you have a dispute with your family member, you have a bad breakup. Like there's a variety of things that we need to heal from. So even if we heal all of these larger oppressive systems that I believe require this ongoing healing work, there's still the other things that are just going to come up as humans, as a part of the human experience. And I don't believe that we have a culture right now that centralizes healing, at least not here in the United States, um, not on a national level. I'm sure that there are pockets of places that centralize that. And so I thought about what can I do in what way can I help starting to shift that culture? And I love podcasts. I feel like um, they're really counter culture, counter like popular culture. It's a way for individuals who are more marginalized to get their voices out. So I wanted um, to do this so that I can help kind of um, shift that narrative um, away from the white cisgender heterosexual male perspective. And so Latiana, after I approached her, recommended you. I think it was maybe like a month later or so you reached out to me and 
we began our converse, or maybe it was a, a few months later, we began our conversations. So this was probably like a year and a half ago that all of this started. Um, so that's, that's how it started for me. And I wanted to be a part of that and also to help activate other healers. Because again, like, I don't, I don't want to position this as we're telling you, like, these are the things you need to do, but here's some information. And I hope that that sparks something in you that you feel like can activate something in you and you can help activate in others. That's why I wanted to start the podcast. What about you, Michelle? For me, it was the idea of censoring ourselves. Um, Like when I think back about it, I had a similar thought. Like I wanted to start a podcast for years. Like I feel like I've been wanting to do this since undergrad back in like at least 2011. And um, it never worked out because I didn't know. Wait, no, not 2011. I probably wanted to start a podcast. Yeah, that was a long time ago. (laughs) I've been wanting to do a podcast since like 2014, 2014. I always had these ideas or I thought I knew who I wanted to do it with, but then over time with life experiences um, and being part of different organizations, I realized I really wanted to do one centering ourselves, um, especially with the organizing space that Serena and I both came from. A lot of the times we like the work was centering was like focused on like reacting like this terrible mm-hmm. thing happened now it's time to march or this is time a time to protest and protesting and marching is incredibly important but I think it's also important to make sure that we have spaces in which we're like focusing on how to heal from all the trauma that we experiences we experience like focusing on unlearning and focusing on really centering ourselves because a lot of the work that a lot of organizations tend to do when it comes to um, Black lives with LGBT work, with all that kind of work, they tend to be focusing on reacting towards something terrible Mm -hmm. happening versus like creating spaces for ourselves to heal from, creating supportive spaces and making sure that we're all um, aligned and able to move so that like, yes, this traumatic thing happened, but I can move another day because I have all of these skills to help me to move forward. And also knowing that in activist spaces, uh, there's a lot of room for mental illnesses being the fact that um, you're constantly hearing bad news, you're responding to bad news all the time. It can create paranoia, especially when police officers are um, trying to shut down your organization. There are a lot of different ways in which it can really impact the mental health. And I wanted to create spaces where we can do healing work. So doing a podcast centering black and queer folk is very important, um, especially because we're at an intersection that doesn't really get acknowledged a lot. Like uh, I remember I used to be part of LGBT clubs more when I was younger because I grew up in black and brown community. So like racism wasn't really something that I really experienced because there weren't that many. Like I literally can count the amount of white people I knew my entire childhood up until I was like (laughs) 17. (laughs) And then when I went to college and I was in an all white space or predominantly white space, I was like, oh, this doesn't (laughs) feel good. I was like, what is this? And then like, I was like, oh, this is what racism is. I was like, I thought it was only down South, but that is not true. (laughs) So like I learned that harsh reality and I thought going to the LGBT club at my first college was going to really help. 
But then I realized mm-hmm. gay people can be racist too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I felt uncomfortable going to the BSU because I didn't want to deal with homophobia. And then on top of it, I'm a woman. And that was like the only thing I really identified as a child. Like I was like, oh, like I'm a girl, I'm a woman. And I knew sexism. Like that was like the biggest thing that I knew until I recognized mm-hmm. my queerness. And I realized, oh, like there's like this homophobia I have to deal with. It's a a bunch of different things that, like, brought me here. But being in the last org that I was in made me really realize that, like, it's important to create safe spaces for these intersections so that they can uplift themselves because otherwise we don't really, we won't have it if we do it. We won't have it if we don't create it. So that's important to me. The other idea is being able to create a community within the podcasting space I know I listen to a lot of podcasts, like a lot of podcasts. And the great thing about a majority of the ones that I listen to is I learn a lot. If it wasn't for a podcast, I don't think my life would have changed as much as it did in the ways that it has. If it wasn't for podcasts, mm. I wouldn't be in grad school. So yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't even know about the occupation that I'm going for right now. So it's um, it can really change lives. I know that. I know that it can. Um, it makes a huge impact. It also can reach so many people in so many different places. Right now I live in a state that is red. I've never lived in a red state in my entire <laughs> life. Or I think it's like a purple state. I'm not really sure. But um like slowly turning. Yeah, because you're turning there. Purple. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm here. And because there are a lot of people who are making an effort to like make those changes, especially with the new people who are coming in. Uh, living here, I don't have as much access to Black queer spaces. It's usually one mm-hmm. or the other. I think it's important. And, and on top of it, it's a different vibe. Like, I live across the country from where I used to live in. <laughs> and, like, that's a completely different vibe. People are very different here. So at least podcasting, like, listening to different podcasts that are focusing on Black queer people or there are Black queer or trans hosts, that makes me feel more at home, even living mm-hmm. in a place where I'm one of the very few <laughs> um, <laughs> of my own identity. So podcasting to me is really important. And I think that it's a place that we can create a community in as far as um, meeting Serena and like knowing how I wanted to work with her. It, we were in the organization together, but we didn't really know each other that well until mm-hmm. we were both in like a healing and safety org group within the organization and we had one conversation at like a greek restaurant in the lower east side (laughs) and from that conversation which i honestly don't remember i just knew oh i need to work with serena i was like we're gonna be friends (laughs) i was like we're gonna be friends and we were going to work together and i didn't realize in what capacity i wanted it in until i feel like maybe last year or the year before where we talked about Mm. um having a podcast together which I think is funny because I had no idea that you had that conversation with Latiana like I didn't even know <laughs> I about thought you did this. no so, <laughs> so like hearing all of this is very new because I think I was the one who reached out to you first and I was like hey let's yeah. do a podcast together so it's cool to hear that you were <laughs> on the same page with me even from there yeah, I feel like Serena and I, we bounce ideas off of each other well. We grow really well within conversations. Like, anytime we're with Latiana, she's like, you should have recorded that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so here we are recording it for the first time. Here we are. <laughs> I think that we balance each other pretty well, um, which is another thing that, like, I don't think I even went in thinking about that. 
but I like your action orientedness and your like executing and pushing ideas forward. I know like my earth sun can definitely like make me be like, we got to plan more. We got to do this. <laughs> like, <laughs> I could take forever, which is why you contacted me first. <laughs> Cause I probably would have taken months to be like, okay, I'm ready now. I'm like, Cause I need to like, I'm like, I need to do a whole Google doc. I have an idea, like send them the little template before I even have a conversation. So I think that's important because I need that energy to balance me. Cause I will sit on an idea forever. Yeah. And I um, definitely, um, our connection, I know like when you talked to me and I was like thinking about like who I want to collaborate with, who I want to create with, who I want to like sit and have a conversation with, like not that we were only aligned on the healing justice work and just holistic wellness, but because of our background and organizing together. And I thought that was a really like interesting and important component. And, And I know for myself that that organization was definitely very instrumental in like helping to frame how, how I center people now, um, how I center the most marginalized and how I think about it critically. And also to help me see what was lacking in that space and those spaces. And to me, they're like, there wasn't enough healing. And, and I know it's because I was like, I needed healing at that time. And I was like, okay, well, this isn't enough for me. And I feel like that's damn near all I did in my twenties. So I know there are other people that probably needed even more so that that, like haven't even taken that time to sit with themselves. As far as I'm concerned, if you don't deal with it, it's going to come, it's going to come up. (laughs) It'll pop right back up. Don't worry. It'll get back there. (laughs) Yeah. Like people don't want to do that, that shadow work. They they don't because it's uncomfortable and it's hard. I think I read a quote recently and it was like, um, if you stare in the face of darkness long enough, it'll look back at you. And like, that's definitely your shadow work. <laughs> yeah, it is. And it will always come to the forefront, whether you like it or not. There's only so much you can run from. Because when it's time to do that shadow work, the universe will always find its way to make sure that it gets done. <laughs> mm-hmm. One way or the other. They'll force you to. A lot of reminders. <laughs> lots and lots of reminders. Mirrors. <laughs> Like, why do I keep meeting the same person (laughs) over and over again? Because you haven't learned that lesson yet. You haven't figured it out. Maybe this is the best way to handle it. Maybe it's time for something new. They will let you know. It's very, very surprising. And I can't wait for more episodes to like go more into that. Yes. (laughs) There's a lot to be said about the universe, making sure that you learn a lesson and staying stagnant and like why that is. Mm -hmm. And then it'll circle back. You know, you got the lesson down. It'll circle back like a year later to be like, surprise, we're going to test you again. Little quiz, yeah. pop quiz. It's like, are you sure you are over this? Are you sure? <laughs> yeah. You sure you're ready to move on? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so for our topic of the day, the question is, are you more black, queer, or more of your gender? Does one matter to you more than the other? I would definitely say, I mean, I'm, I'm always all of those things at one time. Um, for me, it's definitely been gender. 
lately and I was reflecting on this before we spoke and just thinking about how for me that's the thing I feel like it's challenged the most or that is misunderstood the most in my life people will see me and I'll be automatically ID'd as you are assigned female at birth um, you are she her you are woman and that's it and, and that's the full extent of it and I feel like it's something I'm always constantly unpacking and trying to understand identifying as a gender fluid person and thinking about like what does that mean to me over the last year even questioning like do I identify as a woman and what does that mean and I feel like it can be really difficult to explore and to um, see yourself in new ways when everyone else around you is constantly seeing you as one way only and they're like oh well this is who you are and so I know for like over the last just few years of my life I've been like okay, it's really important for me to have the people who I'm friends with uh, be very diverse. And if there is something in myself that I want to explore, like who's in my life? And like, I kind of think back to like Tinder when I was Tindering a lot. And (laughs) I was like drawing to me all of these, all these women, um, black women who were curious, questioning, Maybe they identified as bisexual. And like, I'm always down for more friends. Like, that's one of my main things that I love about Tinder is meeting friends. So that's cool with me. But I realized I was like drawing them to me because I feel like, you know, again, you you draw to you those mirrors. And for me, I was like, okay, well, this is already a place that I've passed in my life. I'm not questioning. I'm I'm not questioning that. I'm not unsure about that. But I understand why they're coming to me. I was at an event uh, for the autumn equinox recently. And, you know, as we're standing there, this, you know, appearing to be cis man walks in with his kids and he's kind of like, you know, what is this? And then he's like, you know, she's like, oh, if you'd like to say, you know, if you want to say an affirmation, like, or they're like, if you want to say an affirmation, you can. That's what we're doing right now. And he says, I just want to say that Jesus is coming and like leaves. <laughs> and, and I love the way that my friend handled this because they were just like, you know, that's an example of somebody being really drawn to and attracted to this ritual space because they need that healing. But that like triggered something in them and they felt like this space wasn't for them. When rally, like, you know, you're more than welcome to be in this space and you're more than welcome to be in this space as somebody who's practicing, you know, I'm, I'm assuming Christianity or, you know, something else, you know, anybody can be in this space. And so it made me think about just the people you draw to you. You know, I definitely want to draw to me people that are, that need that healing or, you know, they see in me something that they want, they want to develop. But I'm also like, I need to have people in my life that are stretching me and pushing me and challenging me to my growing edge, because I, I, I know that like who I am now that's not who I'm going to be five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now. It's constantly evolving. And so I'm like, as I'm asking these questions, it's really important for me to surround myself by people who just express themselves in a variety of different ways. And I feel like it's just, 
gender fluidity, non-binary, we're still living in a very uh, dualistic world. So I feel like that's that's something that's still being um, largely explored and it's often misunderstood. And even when I go on Instagram, I'm still seeing like the person who is non-binary or who's androgynous, it's, it's usually a, a, a white, thin, probably somewhat athletic, thin or light-skinned, probably athletic person who, you know, isn't very curvy, is wearing men's clothing, and I do quotes, because what is men's clothing, really, and who's assigned female at birth, and I feel like that is often the picture of androgyny, and it's still, still almost a very binary way to look at that, and to have that be the picture, and I feel like the picture needs to be broader, the picture is a rainbow, (laughs) like that's, that's really what that looks like is that it is a rainbow. And so I think we do a disservice to people when we only have one representation. And so right now it's definitely like an exploration of, of gender, but yeah, I'm absolutely all of those things at any time. I feel like that's something that I'll oscillate between. Cause if you had asked me this, when I first moved to New York city, it definitely would have been like queer if you had asked me that, like living in Rochester, I definitely would have said black. And I feel like I identify as a Pan-Africanist. And I know that's something I haven't been like very fixated on, especially moving away from organizing spaces, but it's something that's very central to me. So I feel like that's something I'm going to central circle back to is about always understanding and broadening my understanding of blackness and what that looks like globally, because it looks so many different ways. You know, I, I want to meet all of those people, all the Black people in every single country. I want to meet them and see what that looks like and see what their gender expression looks like there because, you know, there's so much more than Brooklyn. <laughs> I'm curious, what does Pan-Africanist mean? A Pan-Africanist is just somebody who believes in the unification of all people of African descent. Ah, okay. I, too, identify <laughs> yeah I figured (laughs) okay (laughs) that's interesting I think I'm realizing when it comes to being black queer or gender like what I identify with most the way that I used to identify with it was the one what that I felt most oppressed in is the one I identified the most with right Mm -hmm. so like when I was younger and I was trying to figure out my sexuality and being involved in a very (laughs) strict religion my sexuality mattered so much more to me like that's what I censored my life around especially right before I like actually was in a relationship with like another queer person like that's what I centered myself around and I jumped between identities a lot I went from straight to bisexual to I don't I don't know if I was a lesbian it was very brief um it's queer (laughs) so like that mattered to me a lot and then especially with my experience at my first college and then moving forward my blackness mattered to me a lot um especially Mm -hmm. (laughs) getting a tumbler and recognizing like what blackness (laughs) meant to me and Trayvon Martin situation and being in a predominantly white institution during that time period Mm. and seeing like the people who cared and the people who didn't and that definitely made me strongly identify 
way more with my um, blackness and do more research in that level. And it was funny because at that time being, I was in an LGBT club and there were conversations online with white gays and they were stating that, you know, being gay is way worse than being black and (laughs) getting into that (laughs) argument. And it was like the Irish slavery comment. (laughs) Yeah. And it was just, it was just wild. And I remember at that time I identified, I was like, well, it's way worse to be black than it is to be gay. And it was interesting because I identified way more with my blackness than my queer side. And I remember I would put, I would put aside my queerness in order to honor my blackness. And Mm -hmm. then then joining that organization where both were recognized at the same time, I was like, oh shit, like all of these things can be acknowledged at once. And then now I'm starting to identify, like learn more about gender in general and like whether I do want to identify as a woman or not. And I still do. I just think that it's not a solid, hard thing. So like the whole idea of like entering a space in which I am called a goddess and a lady and a woman is not something that I really assign myself to I don't like being in spaces like that I don't like being in spaces in which solidify me as like this woman and I'm a woman only because I feel like Mm -hmm. we don't recognize just how ridiculous that kind of sounds because the assumptions that are made about people based off of their gender um, Mm -hmm. especially their gender expression it's supposed to be like oh if you're a woman you obviously are sub and you're a submissive person you're very um, delicate and you're not aggressive or confrontational at all and like you're supposed to hold yourself a specific way and ladies don't curse and all these things that I was taught growing up and I never identified with that I was just like I do what I want <laughs> like I don't yeah. really give a crap about wearing heels or wearing dresses all the time like if I do my nails it's because I like to do my nails if I wear a dress it's because I want to feel pretty that day like it doesn't have anything to do with um, necessarily me being a woman therefore means that I need to do this like even the idea of like menstruation I hate that like I don't really enjoy menstruating um, <laughs> I know that there's like movements for menstruation and that's really great I'm not there yet I guess um, on that journey like I don't even like the idea of um, going into like um, obstetrician gynecology mm. it just doesn't it doesn't excite yeah, me I'm sucks. not interested in it the dark lips suck <laughs> Huh? yeah like, dark lips not, suck. oh yeah <laughs> like I'm not interested in any of that like it just goes way beyond me I always was somebody who like would try to figure out like I just would always go into like a different realm of like okay well these are ways in which we could get rid of our periods like we could just like mm. freeze our uterus and just <laughs> bring it back whenever we want to have a child if we decide that we want to have kids but then Mm -hmm. if not you could just give your uterus to somebody who wants it or like you just like have a vacuum that just cleans the that endometrial lining of your uterus the (laughs) the line that sheds the blood and you just vacuum it away in like five minutes and then you don't have your period for the rest of the week like sounds awesome to me I mean sure it'd be painful but it would be (laughs) worth it like, I just came up with all kinds of ways to in which, like, I didn't enjoy it. Because, like, I don't I associate that with femininity or womanhood. Like, I don't associate birthing children with womanhood. I never really mm-hmm. wanted to do that either. So maybe that contributed mm-hmm. to it. Like, I never felt, like, less of a woman because I didn't want to give birth. 
it's just not really for me like you know like mm-hmm. it's just interesting like all of these things that I never really aligned with or like I always felt like my humor when I was a kid would have been funnier if a man had said it or a boy had said it versus me mm-hmm. saying it because I guess it was like like I don't know like I think that there are different kinds of humors and we don't really acknowledge a lot of them I think a lot of times when we talk about humor you see a lot of comedy it usually centers around men and like what men think is funny and we don't really talk about like being a woman and our experiences and how funny that is which is weird to me because I feel like being perceived as a woman and what femininity is seen as is funny in itself because there's all these like high ridiculous expectations that don't make any sense and to me that's hilarious it's funny to me that you could be walking down the street thinking about how disgusting your menstruation has been or like you just want to pick a wedgie but you know that it wouldn't look good and then all of a sudden you get hit on because somebody yeah. sexualized you. And it's just like, where did this come Literally from? Literally what happened. Yeah. Like, you were in your own world doing whatever. And then all of a sudden, somebody found you sexy. The other day, I went to Lowe's. I was, like, shopping for gardening. I was wearing the raggediest Bergen socks. These high, long hiking socks. The I was queerest shoe. I was covered in dirt. Like, because I was just covered in mud. I had... I just looked a mess, disheveled. Just disheveled was the right word to use. <laughs> and I got hit on. This man followed me around the store trying to like date me. I was like, what? What about me <laughs> at this time? What about me is interesting to you? I don't look and it's good like, at all. It's how they do it. Because it's like, let a woman do it. A femme, a queer person. Like, let them do it. And it's like, oh, hmm. I feel seen. That's so affirming. Yeah, that's like, true too. A cis then, man, you just gotta ruin it. They, 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 they do ruin it because I'm not gonna lie. If it was a fine ass person who came up to me that I was attracted to that is interested <laughs> in me, I wouldn't have even cared about my outfit. But I was really just like, I look disheveled, and here you are. <laughs> I'm like, maybe I'm glowing through this disheveledness. <laughs> like I would have definitely thought about it a different way. But it is very interesting to see how people sexualize you, even when you're like in your least sexiest moment, at least mm-hmm. in your head. Um, and I think that could be its own comedy. But going back to like being black queer gender, I think I identify with all three of them at once. I don't think that one of them plays any higher of a role. The reason why I say that now is because I realize that like me, my experiences don't don't necessarily mean that that's going to be the experiences of other people. Like, yes, as a queer person, as a person who doesn't necessarily identify as a woman, do I experience homophobia and sex and sexism all the time? Probably not as much as somebody who identifies as trans, like, and deals mm-hmm. with massage noir and all of those things. Right. But that doesn't mm-hmm. take away from the fact that they have those experiences. Like before, when I was in that conversation, I was like, being black is so much worse than being gay. And now I'm recognizing, like, that's my own experience. Like, I am somebody who's cis-perceived. I am a cis-perceived, woman-perceived person. Most people don't even know I'm queer unless I say it. So mm-hmm. being the fact that that's the case, like, I won't deal with the same homophobia as, like, a gay black man. I don't feel like that was valid enough because yes, I have my own experiences in which I can say like, this is what I personally experienced, but that doesn't speak to the larger community as a whole. There's also the idea of like identifying with my blackness. There have been so many times that being black, I can't really push the other things to the side. 
there are so many times where we'll hear things about the things that cis het, black men will do to the rest of us, like to women, to trans women. And like that, I I can't not identify as a woman in those spaces. Like I can't identify as a non-conforming person in those spaces. I can't identify as, an, as a, I can't not identify as a queer person in that kind of space because it's it's just not acceptable like there's so much mm-hmm. homophobia out there and that's in that way especially because a lot of times when I don't really have too many problems with men finding out that I'm queer but I think the reason why is because they think that like my queerness is catering towards them they mm-hmm. think that like my queerness is supposed to be sex sexy for them or like, like they could turn you you know or they could that's turn me or they think that, like, you know, this is some kind of choice, which is interesting because I don't think that I, I'm curious of if masculine presenting women have that same experience. Like, do they get questioned about their sexuality in the same way? But I feel like being the fact that I am femme, men think that just because I'm queer now doesn't mean I will always be queer or they like question it more because they mm-hmm. assume that I would be with a man at some point. It's always surprising to me because I'm the biggest misandrist I know. Like, I don't really, I don't like, I don't enjoy too many cishet male company at all. So it's like very interesting <laughs> when they do that. Cause I'm like, you're really barking up the wrong tree. I'm literally the worst person that you <laughs> on these things because I have no patience nor tolerance for you. And I will leave this conversation at any time that I see fit. Like I will not be entertaining <laughs> this at all. Cause it just seems exhausting to me. So like, it's very interesting that those things come up, but it is something that does concern me. And then also being the fact that I am at a PWI, And in those spaces, they do kind of force you to fit into one box or the other, depending on where I am. Like, if I'm at the LGBT club at my school, they expect me to fit under the queer box, but they don't like the fact that I am Black and queer at the same time, that my experiences are different, and I'm going to speak out on those experiences, which is what led me to leaving the club, because I realized that they were looking for their token. They weren't really looking for a Black queer person to represent their black queerness in the way that it will be represented and that I will be transparent about how I feel about things. And then there's also the fact that as a black student, they want you to be just a student. They don't want you to be a black student. I can't do that because <laughs> my blackness is in, is present in every space that I am in because I am visibly black. Like it's very interesting to see all of those intersections or like even some of the black students will say transphobic remarks or and they think it's cool because they see me and they pre- assume that I am cis present. They just assume I'm cis. And I'm just like, no. And either way, it's disrespectful. It's disrespectful mm-hmm. to me as a not, as somebody who does identify as um, non-binary. It's also just disrespectful to me as an LGBTQ person anyway, because like, you're not going to impact my community like that. Like, I just don't even understand, like, where's your humanity? Like anytime to me, if you misgender somebody purposefully, you're not acknowledging the their humanity. It's dehumanizing. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to dehumanize anybody in front of me. So because of all of these experiences, I feel like I also hone into all of them. So I want to hold them all close. And then the, the other reason why I feel like it's important is because it's not just about the oppression that makes me want to identify more with these things. It's about the things that we celebrate too. I wouldn't want to be anything else but a Black queer, non-conforming person. 
I can't see myself being anything else because the beauty, the culture, the everything, the people, like even though it's very rare for me to meet somebody who identifies (laughs) in a similar way to me, but when we see each other, it's like magic. It's like, hey, family, what's good? Exactly. (laughs) Like there's just a magic that is in this very tiny, tiny intersection that is so important and should be recognized. And I'm kind of, wait, actually, hold on a second. It should only be recognized by us. I don't really want mainstream knowing about this magic because they're going to try to hone in on it too. Nah, 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 nah. Yes, and replicate (laughs) it and make money off of it. Yeah, and profit off of our magic, no. But there is definitely a magic that sits in this intersection that to me is just so wondrous and beautiful and very much our own. And it's something that we created from scratch, especially as Mm -hmm. Americans. We literally created this community from scratch. We didn't have anybody telling us how we're supposed to make it. It can look any way that we want it to. And I feel like being Black, queer, non-binary, or even if you're not non-binary, it still involves so much creativity that you would never get if you were not in this type of community. And it involves so much swag also. Like there's just so much swag. (laughs) So it's a beautiful (laughs) space to be in that is just so unique and so magical and people get to experience it. Like anytime you meet a queer person, a black queer person, I feel like you can experience it. But when we're with each other, it's a whole other thing that I cannot imagine not being part of. Because to me, anything else, not anything else, I don't want to say everything else. To me, the mainstream just looks hella boring in comparison. It does, it is. And it, it is, like, it is, you know, yeah. I say, like, I said most of my life being straight. <laughs> and that's just to say, like, that is all I thought I was. So do you have any reflections? My reflections for today are i mean i still am like taking back i'm still taking in the fact that like you wanted to do this with me too and you just like hadn't spoken to me about that for a while because i feel like that's such a huge compliment and i appreciate it so much i'm like oh my god it's so cute like how gender has impacted you also the whole idea of identifying as an activated healer i love that and pan-africanist i feel like you've taught me multiple new terms um (laughs) And I, I definitely do believe in, like, the diasporas coming together and, like, just learning from each other and recognizing the differences and um, the similarities within our culture. I think that's really, really important. The activated healer I also find very important. I do think that we have the power to activate other people to, like, encourage their own healing. And I think that means a lot more than just identifying as solely a healer, as if like we are here to heal other people, because I don't necessarily feel like it works like that. It's not Mm -hmm. like I magically heal you. It's like, okay, are you (laughs) going to do this work yourself? I will tell you things to help you along the way. I can guide you, but I can't do the work for you. And I think that's Mm -hmm. important. And the whole idea of like um, learning about gender and how important that is, as well as like fluidity and sexual sexual fluidity and how all of these things kind of come together as a whole and still for me keeping the whole identity of like making sure that there's a balance in how I identify with my black queer gender non-conforming femme person-ness 
What about you? What are your reflections? The importance of intersectionality. I've been kind of sitting with that. Shout out to Kimberly Crenshaw. And just thinking about like how you were saying, you know, when you show up in these various spaces, people are like, you need to be black here. You need to be queer here. You need to be a student here. And really just the absurdity of that. Kimberly Crenshaw spoke, I think it was like a Penguin House or Random House or whatever the heck it was called. It was an online YouTube panel with her and one other person. And she talked about intersectionality and the necessity of it right now. But I didn't know about the history of how she coined that term and how it originated from a court case in which a Black woman was suing um, an employer for wrongful termination for discrimination. And, you know, she was saying, I'm being discriminated because I'm a Black woman. And the court basically came back and said, no, you can't be discriminated for two things. And this was in the 70s. And it was just kind of mind-blowing for me, this idea that people can't hold these two things at the same time. Like, that's so confusing for people that you can be multiple things you can be two things at one time like and how these are things that are intrinsically a part of our identity so I'm like sitting with that the importance of intersectionality and I want to tie that to Afrofuturism because on my story This week, I asked people an open-ended question, like the future is, and then fill in the blank. And I went to this like Afro-futurist kind of panel presentation from a cohort of Black folks that for the last year were working together to create this like Afro-futurist project. And it was really like inspiring to me. And it was interesting because there was a lot of connectivity between a photo shoot I did for my birthday, which the theme was Afrofuturism, thinking about how the future is now, that the past, present, and future are always occurring simultaneously. Right now, the very act of thinking of what is going to come is me being in the future. Like that's mm-hmm. me time traveling to the future and like visioning this potential possibility. So I think about people like us who exist in uh, multiple intersections and how for a lot of people they're like oh that doesn't exist (laughs) and you know because for them it doesn't exist Mm -hmm. in their their frame like that's a timeline they're living in but for us like it is existing I believe firmly that's the future like there are people now who are living the future just by the act of being who we are and how important that is so that it can pave the way for to like really dig into the full expansiveness of themselves and see themselves as really intersectional beings rather than like I'm only one thing to the other and I need to t- I need to take my hat off and put another one on <laughs> in any given mm. space I can't have multiple hats on and so that's one of the things that kind of came to me today that's important all of that is very important Afrofuturism has a huge place in our present. There's a, um, dang, I can't remember the name of that article. It's up on somebody's Instagram too. But there's, 
It's called Song Reflections. Evidence by Alexis Pauline Gub- Gubbs. Hmm. Gums. Hmm. Okay. Evidence is written by Alexa Pauline Gubbs. And it is a beautiful essay that was included in Octavia's Brood that talks about Afrofuturism and why it's so important. Between that and what was her name? Maxine from from Living Single. Mm-hmm. Between that and Erica Alexander, they both talk about Afrofuturism and why it's important because Erica Alexander and her husband at the time created a uh, like created an mm-hmm. Afrofuturistic magazine. And I remember she did an interview, I think, on the nod where she talked about why it was important because basically she wanted to make it into a show and Mm. when she was speaking to producers or whoever like administrative people about it they were saying how like oh no black people aren't interested in like the future because we did this one thing and (laughs) we didn't get any research behind it and she was like no black people 100% see themselves in the future she stated Let me tell you something about Black people. The past is painful, the present is precarious, and the future is free. We always see ourselves in the future. We are the aliens that come from from across the ocean to rock your world and make your planet swirl. We are futurists because you didn't give us a place in it now, and you took Mm -hmm. away our past, so the future is all we have. And that was important. I think that like really made me understand how important Afrofuturism is. I don't think that I've done enough research myself on it yet, mm-hmm. but it's something that I do want to like play a part in because I think it's important. I think it's part of hoping. I think it's part of wishing. I hope. I think it's part of dreaming and envisioning and like creating the future that we actually want to see. I think we have a lot of problems right now. Uh, we have a lot and lot of problems right now, <laughs> and. <laughs> part of the way of seeing it out isn't just about being anti this. It's about, like we said, centering, but it's also about creating this future for ourselves. Like, what do you want to see in the future? Like take some time and close your eyes and dream about the future that you want to see. What does it include? How do, what does it make you feel? Like those things are important. I wrote a piece about that idea of like what I want to see. I want to be in a community garden. I want black Mm. people to be at peace. I want my kids to come home. And tell me about the things that they learned about the times that I'm currently living in. (laughs) And tell Mm -hmm. me how, like, they were learning about the police and what it was like to have police officers and how crazy it is that we even have police officers and they don't even understand what exactly that is. Like, I want a day in which, like, I can tell my grandkids about this and tell them about police and them be like, what is that? (laughs) And be completely (laughs) confused and shocked at the things that we've experienced. And, like, that will give me such joy to, like, look at my partner and tell them about our kids, tell our kids about these experiences that they will never experience in their life because they're free. That's what I want. I want to start being able to envision that with people and create this huge dream because the minute that we're able to visualize this dream, we can make it into fruition because it's never that Mm -hmm. far away. You know, like, Martin Luther King had his dream. I know that's so cheesy, but at the same time, like <laughs> <laughs> that vision, that vision stuck with so many people and then exactly. they carried that forward. And that's important 
the dream is cheesy, but it's and and, and it's, I mean we're still not even there yet, but we're getting closer towards there, and we're fighting for it because we know of that dream. But let's mm-hmm. stop just relying on his. Like let's start creating our own and figuring out what that's going to look like for us. What does joy look like for you in the future when all of this is done? When we don't have police officers anymore, we're not living in institutions. We don't have to force ourselves to go to work on days that we're sick. And we don't mm-hmm. have to go to work. Like, we just do what we enjoy and com- our community right? benefits from it. <laughs> like, what exactly do you want then? Because it's easy to talk about all the things that we don't want, but it's a lot harder to create that future, especially because that does, that takes a lot more work. It's easier to burn something down than it is to build something. And I mm-hmm. think it's important for us to start creating the foundation of what we want to build and create that blueprint so that it can get it can start getting built as we burn down the systems we no longer can live in that we can no longer tolerate. So Afrofuturism is certainly very important. Intersectionality is very, very important. I appreciate all of those reflections, Serena. Thank you. I loved your addition. I love the the visioning, the garden, the kid coming home, no police. Like that's how it gets created. People think it's crazy or it's silly, but, you know, words have power, ideas have power. Like, if they didn't, then, like, even, like, bad ideas, hateful ideas, you know, you have a lot they power. have power, you know, because other people hear them and it takes root. And so, yeah, that's, that's the importance of this podcast, you know, we're creating new worlds. before we end this we want to hear from y'all so we'd love to get comments but also we would love to get questions moving forward so we can have some questions to add to answer and interact with y'all our email is from the root pod at gmail.com f-r-o-m-t-h-e-r-o-o-t-p-o-d at gmail.com and we'll answer questions there. We also have an Instagram that we're going to start up and you can ask us questions there, but let's stick to the, let's stick to the email though. From the root pod, you can email us, make sure to put in the subject that this is a question or if you want to give us a comment or constructive criticism, constructive, constructive. criticism, <laughs> please put that in the title and we'll go through your emails and hopefully have some questions to answer. Ooh, Shine Theory. Shine Theory, <laughs> yes. Is there anything you want to put on, Serena? Yes. Um, so I'd like to shine some light on um, skin alchemy. And I actually have it with me today so I could show you. <laughs> um, so skin alchemy is um, a friend of mine, Erica, and her friend whose name I don't know, but it's a brand by two black women, I believe both black women, apologize if that's not correct. And so my friend Erica, she makes body products. So I have the body butter, which I absolutely am in love with. It's got shea butter, mango butter, coconut oil, a whole bunch of other oils, but I love shea, I love coconut. They just made the perfect baby together. Because individually, they're they're a little bit lacking, but together they work out really well. And I love the way it melts in my hands when I use it, and it absorbs really quickly. 
Um, so I'm excited. I'm excited to have that for winter. And then I know the other part of Skin Alchemy is handmade jewelry. So it's like gemstones and stuff like that. And so we will share that in the information when we post the podcast. So check it out. The only shine theory I have, funny enough, is just going to be another podcast. If y'all are not listening to Marsha's Plate, you need to be listening Mm. to it. Because it's a podcast that's hosted by three trans people. And they basically talk about experiences and, and like what's going on in the culture today and conversations about um, what it's like being black, queer, black and trans. And I love their conversations because, one, they're funny. They're hilarious. They're also incredibly smart. They challenge themselves a lot, even on the show, like dealing with things, even um, even talking like they even challenge themselves with like internal transphobia, which I think is really mm-hmm. interesting. And they don't really hold anything back. Like, they go through everything on that show. And they're very transparent about themselves and their lives. And they, on top of it, they have a trans 101 so that they can break down some things that might not be as familiar to people who are not uh, familiar with trans people. So it's a great podcast to listen to. They're incredibly intelligent. I love their perspectives on everything. Um, I feel like they challenge me a lot. They also make sure to acknowledge the trans people that pass away from hate crimes or just pass in general. And I think that's also very important and also keep you updated on um, what's going on in the world and in the trans world. And I think all of that is very important. I think it's important to be able to listen to the most marginalized people because we don't get free until they're free. And we have no Mm -hmm. idea what freedom is until we get them free because it's never enough to just uplift one identity it always it's always important to uplift the most marginalized because we have no idea just how much it benefits the rest of us when we do uh so yeah listen to marsha's plate they're amazing they're hilarious i love diamond i love mia i love z they're all great yeah that's it for today thank you thank you michelle and Thank you to our first listeners of From the Root Podcast. We will catch you next time. Bye, guys.